I read an article written by a man who was, said he felt confident he'd never have a chronic illness. Three of his grandparents lived into their 90s. This man's youth, he was an athlete, ran his first marathon when he was 13. But as he started pushing 40, he started noticing symptoms that were indicative of a condition. So he went to a doctor, was put on medication, but he didn't feel good on the medication. So he soon found excuses not to take them, eventually blaming his symptoms on them, and he stopped taking them altogether. But then as his blood pressure began to, well, rather continue to rise, he finally went to a cardiologist who informed him that he had blockages and at the age of 40 would have to have open heart surgery. After the surgery, he did a quick turnaround in his lifestyle, changing what he ate because he learned the hard way that the doctor knew a thing or two about how he was supposed to be living. Now, not every doctor gets it right all the time, but when one does know what they're talking about, it's well worth taking their instructions on how to live. God has given us instructions as to how we should live. Biblical law and kingdom principles serve to show us when we're wrong and they convict us of sin. And it's simple enough So why do we continue to do things our own way? Now, there are a lot of contributing factors to that question, but we'll key in on a fundamental factor today of trust, something that plays a key role in whether we do what's right, even in ambiguous situations. And today we find David in a situation that reveals how this factor plays out within a person's life. David's been anointed king, to be sure, but so has Saul, and Saul is the acting king, the rightful king, and David has an opportunity to kill him. And a casual glance at the passage seems like things are pretty straightforward. But when we consider the events leading up to it, that may not be the case. Last week we saw David kill Goliath, and since then David's been serving in the army well. He earns a high rank that everyone's pleased to see him have. But soon Saul gets insecure. And he tries to kill David. First, while David is playing for him as kind of his resident music therapist, giving him relief from what the writer tells us is an evil spirit. And then Saul decides he'll try to have him die through war. And he keeps sending him mission after mission against the Philistines, the Israel's Israelites' enemies. Problem is, David's really good at being in the army. In fact, he's more successful than anyone else. And so finally, Saul tries to entice him by offering his daughter in marriage, asking a dowry requiring the death of a hundred Philistines. David doubles the requirement, and he marries his daughter anyway. Jonathan, the king's son, becomes a good friend of David, and he tips him off that the king is, in fact, plotting against him. And Jonathan tries to convince his father to relent, and Saul appears to do so. But it's not long before David's running for his life again. 
And Saul takes a military force after him, killing even priests who unknowingly aided David in his escape. And David's on the run, soon becomes the leader of a band of misfits, about 400 men. And even as he's on the run, still manages to rescue a city from the Philistines. And he's pressed hard by Saul. And Saul almost closes in, but he's turned around at the last minute as he receives news that the Philistines are raiding again. And there's a real fortunate turn for David when Saul pursues him yet again. David and his men are hiding in a cave, and Saul happens to choose that cave to relieve himself in it. And all his men think this is an opportunity to take Saul's life, to end the running. Instead, David just sneaks up to Saul and cuts a corner of his robe off. But then he's conscience-stricken because the robe was a sign of royal power, and so his actions could be interpreted as seizing power from Saul. And so he confronts Saul, similar to our passage today, from a safe distance, letting him know that he had the opportunity to kill him, and he didn't take it. And Saul relents again. And after Saul appears to do so, he changes his mind yet again. And he's after David, which is where our passage picks up. And David finds himself in yet another convenient situation. And so he sneaks into his camp accompanied by Abishai. And Abishai recognizes the opportunity. It's a perfect setup. The spear is lying right next to Saul. And so Abishai wants to kill David. Or rather, he wants to kill Saul. And David doesn't. There's a sharp disagreement. Why? Why in a scenario that seems to be so straightforward is there such a sharp disagreement between these two who have fought side by side? Let's take a look at their reasoning. And as we do, we'll get some insight into the factors that lead us to do things our way versus God's way. First, we have Abishai, who recognizes the obvious and interprets it like a lot of people would. He says in verse 8, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. Put yourself in David's shoes and tell me that his words don't make a lot of sense. Saul's already tried to kill David face-to-face -face a couple times, underhandedly, and then he's just flat-out pursued him. Changing his mind, saying that he'll relent no less than three times. He's even tried to kill his own son, Jonathan, when he tried to defend David. And he's killed people who unknowingly aided David's escape. David, in this scenario, could easily claim self-defense and say, well, I'm going to end the threat to my life right here, right now. What's more, these are soldiers. Saul and David have both seen combat Killing is nothing new to either of them. 
And even if one appeals to Saul's vulnerability in this scenario, David could claim it's combat. Saul came after me, and he lost. Sure, he's king, but Saul certainly wouldn't be the first king to be assassinated. And isn't this the mentality we've seen in the book so far? Why not? Jonathan achieves a breakthrough in battle by picking a fight with a Philistine outpost. And he kills a lot of people. David accepts the challenge of Goliath. And he kills him. Why shouldn't David kill a man who's trying to kill him? Abishai doesn't see a reason not to. And he thinks in this scenario that because David can kill Saul, he should kill Saul. Because Abishai is concerned with David's self-preservation. Even expressing belief that God has delivered David's enemy into his hands. And if that weren't enough, he volunteers to do it himself. I'll take care of it. So why doesn't David let him? David rebuts Abishai's proposal in verses 9 through 11. And his response tells us a significant reason why he disagrees with Abishai. Primarily, while Abishai is concerned with self-preservation, David trusts that God gets it right. Essentially, that God knows what he's doing. Goliath was killed because he defied God and Israel's army. Saul may have disobeyed God, but while he was David's enemy, he was still the one chosen by God to be king. And David recognizes this, even if he wasn't a very good king. And David's anointed too, but Saul is still in power. David recognizes that because Saul is God's anointed, he's God's to deal with. And that's why killing Saul would not be partnering with God in his purposes, as we've seen in previous passages. And as Abishai seems to think, God decided to make Saul king, and God will make this situation right, not David. And in his words to Abishai, he expresses handing Saul over to God. And he expresses his confidence. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him, or, this, or his time will come, and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. David doesn't know what's going to happen, but he trusts that God's going to get it right. He's trusting God knew what he was doing when he anointed Saul. That God knew what he was doing when he anointed David. And that God knows how this is going to be resolved, even if David doesn't. And that's the primary difference between Abishai and David in this passage. And because David trusts that God will get it right, rather than being preoccupied with his own self-preservation, he trusts that God will protect him. That's where his preservation comes from. 
And the point is an even greater contrast between David and Saul. The whole reason Saul is pursuing David is because he's afraid. He's insecure and becomes paranoid. In previous chapters, it states Saul was afraid because the Lord was with David and had departed from Saul. He knows David has been anointed king. He knows God is with him. But rather than focusing on getting things right between himself and God, he is instead literally fighting against God's purposes. At its worst, that's where fear, rooted in our own self-preservation, can take us. And the ironic thing is that being overly concerned with our own self-preservation will take us farther away from the one who actually preserves us. Because David trusts God, instead of taking the opportunity to kill Saul, he instead seizes the opportunity to show that he never had any intentions of killing Saul. Again. In fact, the first thing he points out is Saul's men are more worthy of death than him because of the security breach. And he even entertains the possibility that perhaps God sent Saul to kill him. And if that's the case, he's willing to make it right. And in taking this path, David actually shows more confidence in his own kingship and its legitimacy when it comes On the, in contrast, eventually Saul's lack of trust in God gets the best of him. He becomes so afraid and so distant from God that eventually he goes and consults a medium to conjure up the now deceased Samuel so that he can consult him for counsel. an act that's against Israel's law that Saul himself had enforced. And when Samuel is conjured, he shows up only to tell Saul that he and his sons are going to die in battle. And they do. In contrast, David eventually becomes king. And his rule ushers in what's recognized to be the golden age of Israel's kingdom. Maybe you have a Saul. In a sense, maybe a person who may be toxic to you. Maybe someone who might not be out to kill you, but might be trying to cut you down at every opportunity. Maybe in front of you, maybe behind your back. Maybe they undermined everything you say and do. And maybe one day you find them in a vulnerable place. Maybe they're in need. Do you seize the opportunity to exact your revenge? Do you take the opportunity to give them a taste of how you felt? 
to hurt them like they hurt you, just to even the scorecard a little bit? Or do you trust that Jesus got it right when he told you to forgive as you have been forgiven? When he told you to bless even those who curse you? Do you take the opportunity to bless them, to show them the grace the Lord has shown you by forgiving them as you have been forgiven? That's just one possible scenario. We're trusting God can lead us to do things Jesus' way and not ours. And when considering the two, which do you think shows people the heart of God? When we trust God enough to do things his way, it speaks to people about who God is. Especially when it's difficult. Consider what Saul says to David the first time he spared his life. He says, when a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. And perhaps the opportunities we have to look after our own interests are really opportunities to show people who God is and how God does things. And if our interests clash with God's purposes, then at best, we're missing that opportunity. Although it's quite possible, we may find ourselves fighting against God's plan. And that's not a place we want to be. Jesus said it's the sick that need a doctor. It's well worth trusting the doctor of our souls. Trusting that he got it right when he told us what was good for us. That he'll get it right in how things play out, even if we can't see how that's possible. It's well worth trusting him when he gives us examples to follow. And if our Lord Jesus did not seek his own self-preservation, but gave himself up, even to the point of death, so that we can have eternal life with God, how much more should we consider that example and trust that God gets it right and will get it right with our earthly lives? Let's continue worshiping.